0: People that are in a relationship that is fun and spontaneous, they'll tease each other. And it just seems like they're trying to stay sharp with each other. But there's a difference between teasing and being mean-spirited. When you're a scorekeeper, everything is tit for tat. If I do A, you owe me B. When you start keeping score, there's going to be a winner and a loser. You don't want your partner to be a loser in competition with you. It's Dr. Phil. Welcome back to fill in the blanks. We're in the middle of our relationship reality check. You guys know that I've subtitled this, how much fun are you to live with? Think about that question. How much fun are you to live with? Life's not always about yucking it up, and fun's not always about laughing and playing games and being on vacation. When I say fun, that can also mean how peaceful are you to be with, how easy are you to be around, how safe does someone feel around you emotionally. So when I'm talking about how much fun are you to live with, I mean mentally, emotionally, physically, In every possible way, how much fun are you to live with? Last time we were talking about what I call your bad spirit that part of you that gets in the way of somebody feeling all of those things I just described. There's a few more sides of this bad spirit that I want to talk about. Remember, I said, I don't care what relationship we're talking about romantic relationship, friend relationship, work relationship, family relationship. Whatever relationship you enter, you either contribute to or contaminate that relationship. You might contribute to one, get up and walk into the next room, and contaminate that one. So you're not always a contributor or always a contaminator. It's situation-specific. Now, I've said that I'm going to focus on your significant other relationship here as our working example, but I want you to be able to generalize these conversations, these exchanges that we're having to all of your relationships and not just your romantic or significant other relationships. So let me review what I talked about in terms of the elements of the bad spirit. I said, number one, if you're a scorekeeper, that's really hurtful to your relationship. If you're somebody that is tit for tat, you're somebody that says, okay, if I got 30 minutes of free time then you're going to want 30 minutes of free time. So if I got some time off from the kids, then you're going to want time off from the kids. That's a scorekeeper. Number two, you're a fault finder. You're one of those people that looks for the negatives in someone else and you use a lot of shoulds and musts and always and nevers. I'm not going to repeat everything. You can go back and listen to the last episode. Number three, you think it's your way or the highway you're rigid. You're a right fighter. You got all the answers, so why would anybody consider anything else? Number four, you turn into an attack dog. Anytime someone wants to disagree with you, they're going to be hell to pay because you're going to chew them up alive. Number five, you're a passive warmonger. Now, if you're an attack dog, they can at least hear you growling and see you coming. But if you're a passive warmonger, that's like the passive aggressive personality. You're going to get them, but you're going to sneak up on them. You're going to be insidious. You're going to sabotage, but you don't have the guts to face them straight up. And that's a whole different ballgame. Now, the next one I want to talk about might be one of the most important things we talk about during this whole series, even though it doesn't seem like it at first. And it's what I call... You resort to smoke and mirrors. Now, what do I mean by that? I use the term smoke and mirrors kind of in jest because that's what magicians do, right? They misdirect your attention with smoke and mirrors. They get you to look over here while they're doing something over there. They misdirect, they give a puff of smoke, and behind the smoke, they do something that they don't want you to see. It's all about misdirection. If your bad spirit is running your relationship, then you're someone that is subject to misdirecting your partner's attention, misdirecting your partner's understanding about what's going on in a relationship. And I'll tell you how you know if you do this or not. Ask yourself this question. Do you talk about topics rather than issues in your relationship? To answer that question realistically, you have to understand the difference between a topic and an issue. Most people, if they have a disagreement, they disagree about topics. They disagree about topics. Topics are things that pop up every day. A husband can come home and come in and he's irritated. Who left the tricycle in the driveway? Okay, you can talk about that. That's the topic. What would be the issue that makes him irritable about who left the tricycle in the driveway instead of just simply putting the car in park, getting out, and moving the tricycle? Maybe he's got a chip on his shoulder. Maybe he's resentful because he has an issue with a lack of sexual intimacy in the relationship. So why would he talk about the topic of the tricycle and not the real issue of the lack of sexual intimacy? Well, I can tell you because the tricycle is safe. He has nothing at stake when he's talking about the tricycle. If he wins that argument, great. If he loses that argument, so what? He didn't have much invested in it one way or the other, so he just gets to vent his frustrations. On the other hand, if he goes to you and says, I am really hurt by the fact that you seem to no longer be attracted to me. You don't find me sexually relevant. You have no desire to be intimate with me. And you say, yeah, that's right. Really don't. I'm sorry. Used to. Don't anymore. Wow. That can really hurt. That can really be hurtful. Now there's a lot at stake. And sometimes people just don't have the courage to deal with the true underlying issues. So they nibble at the edges. They try to attack their partner. They try to get even. They try to vent their frustrations in a safe way instead of dealing with the real issues. So they'll choose a safe topic, but they never get any real resolution because the issue never gets addressed. So here's how to know if you're dealing superficially in your relationship instead of dealing at the issue level. One is you just keep coming back to the same problem. If your problem is a lack of intimacy, if your problem is that she seems to be too focused on her mother and father instead of you. If the issue is she seems to want to spend more time with the children than she does with you, but that just doesn't ever seem to change, well, maybe it's because you've never really dealt with it straight on and expressed your concerns. So if the issue just keeps popping up over and over and over again in your mind and heart, and doesn't get resolved in the relationship, it may be because you've never really dealt with it. You've nibbled around the edges, but you've never really gotten the courage to say, look, straight up, here's the issue. So if your interactions constantly focus on superficial and trivial topics, ask yourself, what are you hiding from? What are you afraid to give a voice? If your interactions begin to approach the real issue but then they get disrupted by anger or abrupt changes of subject, or you just say, never mind, and walk off. That's what we call approach-avoidance conflict. You have this feeling of approaching. You're drawn to it. You approach it. But the closer you get, a feeling of avoidance kicks in. It's called approach-avoidance conflict. You want to talk about it, but the closer you get to doing it, the steeper that hill gets. It's like you're walking up a hill, and when you're a mile away, it's just barely uphill. When you're half a mile away, it's a little steeper. When you're a block away, it's like you're almost going vertical, because the closer you get, the harder it is to get right to it until you just slide back down that hill because you can't make yourself do it. It's called the approach avoidance conflict. The closer you get, the steeper that hill is to climb. If you find yourself talking passionately about the problems of other people that mirror what is really bothering you, but your partner says, you know, the way you're talking about that, it seems to me like you take that awfully personally. Are you really concerned about that happening in their relationship, or are you concerned about that happening in our relationship? And if you bail and say, oh, no, 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 I'm talking about them. That approach avoidance conflict is kicked in, and you don't have the guts to deal with it. That's kind of like going to a psychiatrist or psychologist and saying, hey, can you answer a question for me about my friend? My friend is depressed. My friend is anxious. My friend has a problem because you don't want to admit that it's you. By the way, we never believe you when you say that. We always immediately assume it's you. Even if you are asking for a friend, we don't believe you. So if you tend to talk passionately about a problem that another couple is having, but you deny that it's relevant to you, then that's smoke and mirrors. You get very defensive if your partner asks you straight up, Hey, is there something else bothering you? You're arguing about me leaving a tricycle in the driveway, but It seems to me like you're really upset about that to a level that is disproportionate to the transgression. So is it really the tricycle or is there something else? And you get really defensive, chances are you're running from the issue. So you have to ask yourself, because if you are ducking the issue in favor of the topic, you're cheating both yourself and your partner. You're cheating yourself because 50% of the solution to any problem lies in defining it getting it on the table and dealing with it, and you're cheating your partner because they don't have a chance to help you with the issue. They don't have a chance to say, well, okay, I didn't know that was a problem, but now that I do, I can do something about it. Or they might say, yeah, I I get that that's a problem. Let me tell you why. You, You say you're upset because I don't seem like I want to be intimate with you. You're quite right. I don't. Let me tell you why. Maybe it's because you smell like a goat. You don't. Come to bed in an attractive way, take a shower, or maybe it's because you can't be rude to me all day long. And then when you flip the lights off, all of a sudden I'm supposed to melt in your arms. I can't make that switch when you flip the lights. So if you want me to be cozy in bed, then you better be cozy during the day, buddy. You can't ever have that honest conversation if you duck the issues. And I know the number one fear is rejection. So yeah, there are some issues there. There's some scary things there, but you got to be willing to take the chance. What do you got to lose? Your answer is, well, everything, my self-esteem, my self-image, my relationship, my ego. But what are you going to lose if you never deal with it? You're going to continue to live in fantasy land and feel rejected anyway. At least my way, you have a chance of solving it. You have at least a possibility of getting past the issue. Your way, you have no chance of getting past it. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multilayered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth. But when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, Essential Television. The next characteristic of the bad spirit is they just simply will not forgive. They just will not forgive. And let me tell you, there is power in forgiveness, and there is a huge misunderstanding when it comes to forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a choice. Forgiveness is not something that just one day will wash over you when you finally have hurt long enough, been angry long enough, suffered long enough, and God will anoint you with forgiveness, and you will all of a sudden feel better. Forgiveness is a choice. And if your partner has transgressed against you in some way, and you have made it a life sentence. You're contaminating that relationship. You might as well hit the eject button for one or both of you because you are on the Titanic. It's going down. Look, partnerships are ships and ships go down. And you're going to knock a hole in yours if you carry anger, bitterness, hatred towards your partner about something they've done. If you cannot forgive them, if you will not forgive them, if that's the truth, if that's the reality, then you need to set yourself free and move on. You need to set them free and move on. And I hope that's not the choice that you make because you do have the power to forgive and there is power in forgiveness. Now, I said that this is one of the most misunderstood concepts that I've run across in human functioning. And let me tell you what I mean by that. People have the misapprehension that if someone transgresses against them or some loved one, and they forgive them, that somehow or another that says, okay, I've accepted this. I've said that was okay. I've said that I was angry at them for a year, so they served a year in the crosshairs of my anger, bitterness, and resentment, so the penalty for that from me was one year. You did what you did and you paid the price for a year. And I just can't do that because what they did was more than one year. They need to pay more than that. It was worse than that. And if I forgive them at the end of a year, then I'm letting them off. Well, that's just not right. What you're doing is letting yourself off. Look, forgiveness is a choice. And I have forgiven people in my life that never knew I forgave them. They never knew that I considered the fact that they transgressed against me. I have forgiven people that had not one clue that they had done anything that I considered an offense. And you say, well, what's the point? Why forgive them if they don't even know it? Because it's not about them. I didn't forgive them for them. I didn't give them the gift of forgiveness. I gave myself the gift of forgiveness. Because I know as long as I have anger and bitterness and hatred in my heart towards another, then I am locked in a bond with that person forevermore. They control me. I'm locked up in a bond with them. Anger is a very pervasive emotion, it's kind of like a skunk. I'm recording this podcast from my home today instead of the podcast studio. I'm down in one end of the house in my study and. The kitchen's on the far end of the house. If a skunk sprayed in the kitchen right now, I guarantee you, you would smell it in every room of this house. Why? Because it is such a pervasive odor. It just permeates everything. It would be in every cubic centimeter of air in this house almost instantaneously. It would contaminate every breath anyone took in this house. That's how anger is. If you have anger in your heart, it permeates every emotion you have, every relationship you have, every interaction you have. It absorbs a significant amount of your emotional energy. If you have anger and bitterness towards your mother, brother, sister, friend, spouse, then I promise you, your children do not get 100% of their parent. Maybe they get 80%, 70%, 60%. They get some fraction of their parents because a fraction of it is invested in hatred, anger, and bitterness towards this person that you believe has transgressed against you, and your child is paying the price for it. Because you are so consumed by it, it changes who you are. It doesn't just affect you when you're with that person. You just don't think I would smell that skunk when I went in the kitchen, do you? I would smell it in the den. I would smell it in the entry hall. I would smell it in the bedrooms. I would smell it everywhere. It wouldn't just be when I was in the kitchen. It would affect me everywhere. Just like anger, bitterness, and hatred would affect you in every relationship, just the way the skunk would affect me in every room of the house. It affects you. It changes who you are. Now, as I said, I've had people that have transgressed against me, at least in my opinion. It doesn't matter whether it's real or imagined. If you believe they have and you have resentment towards them, then that's an emotional skunk and it's spraying in your life and it's going to affect you until you get rid of it. I forgave those people for me, not for them. I don't care where they know it or whether they don't. I forgave them so I could be set free. As I said, some of them never even knew that I forgave them. That's not necessary. It was necessary that I knew I forgave them. And like I said, it's a choice. It is a conscious choice to say, I forgive this person. I have to tell myself that doesn't mean what they did was okay. What they did might have been horrendous, terrible, horrible, mean, ugly, two-faced, backstabbing. And me forgiving them doesn't mean that that behavior is okay. I can forgive them. That doesn't mean I will forget. I may never forget what they did. I will learn a lesson from it, and I may never deal with that person again, but I can forgive them because I'm not willing to let them dominate my life. You need to make a list of those people in your life that you feel have transgressed against you or those you love. Who is on your list that you are angry at, have resentment for, hatred for, Because carrying a grudge is like letting somebody live in your brain rent-free. That's not okay. You're letting them live in your head rent-free. Don't let them occupy space in your brain. Get it out of there. Get it out of there. Set yourself free. If they need to pay a price, let God do that judgment. That's not your job. Your job is not to judge them. If they've broken a law, let the law deal with them. Just because you forgive them doesn't mean they are not accountable to the laws of man, and they're not going to face judgment in the eyes of God. But that's not your job. And here are some real easy ways to determine whether or not this infiltrates your life. Just as I've said, you are consumed with anger. And if it's at your partner, that means you are hair-triggered. There's something that they've done that you are resentful of, you're angry about, and so you are hair-triggered. I mean, anything they do, you just blow up and explode. If you find yourself so bitter that you take a pessimistic view of life in general, it's usually because you are wounded and you have not forgiven those that hurt you. If you tend to see the world as a hurtful place, you're just very pessimistic, you see the world as a hurtful place overall, then you probably have stacked up resentment and hatred. If your body feels physically unbalanced, we call that heterostasis. You have sleep disturbance, nightmares, poor concentration, fatigue, severe headaches, back spasms, any kind of ongoing chronic physical symptom. You dearly need to ask yourself, am I carrying bitterness and hatred in my life? If you can't read a book or watch a television show or a movie without finding something in it that reminds you of your resentment, every time you watch something, you go, oh, yeah, Uh uh-huh, yeah, I see that. Yeah, heard that. It's like your psychological skin has been burned, and anybody that even comes up and pats you on the back creates pain. You see a reminder of it in everything you read, watch, hear, do. Something brings you back to that. Then you are consumed. That's what you have to watch for. If you tend to interpret statements and actions of your partner, first in a negative way, a critical way, Why? Well, it's because you have a chip on your shoulder. If you tend to say, well, I'm not forgiving them because they just don't seem like they care. They don't seem like they're sorry. They don't need to be sorry for you to forgive them. They may never be sorry. They may be such a knothead. They don't get what they did. They don't get the gravity of how they hurt you. They don't need to get it for you to forgive them because it's not about them. It's about you. You. If you're telling yourself you're not going to forgive them yet because they haven't paid enough, they haven't got enough penance, they haven't groveled enough, well, you're just keeping yourself locked up, not them. And if you don't forgive because you want to use guilt as a hammer, as a lever to beat them over the head with, and you don't want to give up that weapon, then you've held on to that bitterness way too long. Don't weaponize your pain. Don't use it as guilt induction. So you may be thinking, okay, Doc, how do I forgive? Well, it's a conscious choice. You wake up every day, and if you're religious, if you believe in a higher power, and I believe there is a higher power, I choose to call it God. If there's a higher power in your life, then you got to get up and say, give me the strength to forgive this person today. I choose to exercise my will, and I forgive this person today. I just turn this over to the higher power. They're going to have to deal with that, not me. I'm moving on. I'm not going to lay in this gutter with you. So that's an important bad spirit. Don't get caught in that trap. The last two elements of a bad spirit to round out my top 10, I'm going to kind of talk about together, and that is you've either gotten too comfortable or you've just given up. Sometimes we just get comfortable in our relationships, and we just kind of quit working on them. Remember I told you way back, I think it was in the first episode of this we did, I said a relationship is like a garden. You just go out in the middle of a field and you take a hoe and you chop all the weeds back, kind of scrape up the ground there and get you a pretty good little patch of dirt and you plant some vegetables there, you water it and you tend that garden. It can really flourish. But you're going to have to tend it. You're going to have to keep the weeds back. You're going to have to keep watering it. If you neglect it, And you come back and you haven't watered it or weeded it for a month or two, you won't even be able to find it. It'll just be swallowed back up into the landscape. It'll just be swallowed back up into the hillside. Same thing with your relationship. You carve this out special. And if you don't continue to tend it, it won't be special anymore. It'll just be another part of your life. So don't get too comfortable. And if you've given up, if you've convinced yourself, there is nothing I can do to change this relationship, what you're really saying is there's nothing I can do to change me. Because that's all you can ever change in a relationship is you. If you give up on a relationship, you are giving up on you. I've said from the beginning, you are the only person in this relationship you can influence. The only person in this relationship you can change. You can inspire your partner. Hopefully, they'll want to follow you to a happier place a better mood, a better vibe, a better way of being in this world. But if you give up on your relationship, you're really giving up on you. So if you've just surrendered to the reality of just going through the motions of a bad or mediocre relationship, you've given up on yourself. If you say, what's the use? It's never going to change. You need to take it out of there and put in I. What's the use? I will never change. There is no it. There's only I. If you no longer even bother to protest, if you're attacked or abused by your partner, you've given up on you. If you think it's pointless to try to change because it will only make the other party get angry, then you've given up on you. There's just no place to give up. So remember I said, in every relationship, you either contribute to it by what you bring with you, the thoughts, beliefs, history, and feelings that you bring with you when you walk into that relationship. Those things are either positive, and they contribute to the relationship, or they're negative, and you contaminate that relationship. So the question is, are you a contributor, or are you a contaminator? Do you have a positive outlook, a positive energy? Are you living in the here and now, or are you dragging the past into your relationship, things that have happened in the past? Let me tell you, if you live your life looking over your shoulder, then your past becomes your future. Don't go through life looking over your shoulder. Your past then becomes your future because that's all you ever look at. There comes a point where you have to say, I'm hitting the reset button. I'm starting over right here. Now, I'm not telling you to forget if you're in a relationship with somebody and they've cheated on you four times in the last year, forgive them. But don't be stupid. The best predictor of future behavior is relevant past behavior. They've cheated on you four times this year. They're probably going to cheat on you four times or more next year. Get out. Hit the bricks. Go away. Forgive them so you don't spend the rest of your life being bitter about it. But that doesn't mean you got to be stupid. Get out. I'm not saying you forget what they did. I'm not saying you pretend they didn't do it. I'm just saying forgive them so you don't spend your life locked up in a bitterness and hatred with them. You can forgive them without accepting what they do. So answer the question. In each relationship you evaluate, are you a contributor or are you a contaminator? The only way you can do that is if you do a relationship autopsy. Ask yourself, where is this relationship on a 1 to 10? Is it a 2 or is it an 8? we want our relationships to be 10, right? If it's a two, you need to figure out eight reasons it's not a 10. And if some of those aren't yours, you're kidding yourself. So rank your relationships on a one to 10. And if you say, well, it's a three, then you need to write down eight reasons it's not a 10. It may be because they lie, cheat, betray. And that'd be three. You got five more. You need to be on that list. There are things you're doing is you have to be accountable. All relationships are mutually defined. I just want you to be rid of your bad spirit. And get it out of there so we can start defining our relationships going forward in a healthy way because that's where we're headed in the future. How to have a healthy relationship and enjoy it. Now, I want to talk about Thanksgiving. A lot of relationships come together At Thanksgiving. And because we're talking about relationship reality check, I wanted to give you some thoughts about how to manage Thanksgiving because I think we need to manage our expectations about the holidays sometimes and take some pressure off of ourselves. So I want to give you a little advice that you didn't ask for about the holidays. Number one, I think it's really important to manage your expectations about the holidays because sometimes we get a little starry-eyed, and we get really high expectations about how wonderful everything's going to be and set ourselves up for disappointment. Sometimes we get into situations where reality can never live up to the expectations, or we have selective memories of how great everything was, and we think of Christmas's past or Thanksgiving's past, and we selectively pick out those good moments. We forget about Uncle Bob getting drunk and falling into the Christmas tree or Aunt Edna burning the turkey. The kids running through the house and making so much noise, he just wanted to just get up and run out the back door. My dad always said that the holidays were a time where people that didn't know each other that well traveled a long way to spend too much time in too small a space. I guess you could tell he was a bit of a cynic about the holidays. He actually enjoyed them, but Let's talk about the expectations for a minute. If you're in a situation where you've always driven 18, 20 hours with the kids in the back of the car to get somewhere that's really crowded and you're with some people that maybe you knew once in your life, but you really don't know them that well anymore and you don't have that much in common with them anymore, is it a sacrilege to ask yourself if that's a reasonable expectation to put on yourself? If money is tight this year and gas prices are really through the roof and it's going to cost you $300 to make this round trip out of pocket, not to mention the wear and tear on your car and tires and oil and indirect costs that you don't actually see, are you making yourself do something that you really don't want to do? Are you putting stress and pressure on yourself that you really don't want? Look, I'm all about family togetherness. I really am. I love for family to be together at the holidays if it makes sense. But we are in an age of technology. Ask yourself, honestly, do I really need to do this? Is it in my best interest and the best interest of my family? Because in the age of technology, you can FaceTime those people and laugh and talk, joke about the football game and have a good visit and do that a couple of times maybe during the weekend and see each other and all. And Is that as good as being there? Absolutely not. No question about it. It's better to be there and feel those hugs and spend time together and visit and all of that. But you do have to realistically ask yourself, is this in my family's best interest right now? Or is it in my family's best interest right now to actually have a family Thanksgiving where it's just two kids and us, or me and my daughter or son, if I'm a single mom? you know, Maybe we need to create a special ritual or tradition here just with us and not feel guilty about it, not feel like we're a horrible son or daughter because we don't put our kids in the back seat of the car and drive 18 hours to get somewhere we can't afford to be, don't really want to do, and create tremendous stress and pressure and have to be back to work on Monday. I'm just saying, ask yourself if it's really in you and your family's best interest if the expectations are unreasonable. If they're not, if everybody's in town and close by and it's what you want to do, great. I'm thrilled for you. Do that and enjoy it. I just wanted to bring up, because oftentimes people just don't even entertain the question, do I do this or do I not? Because it's just assumed. Of course you do. It's Thanksgiving. You have to do it. Well, no, you don't. Maybe you can see them over the summer or at another time and use technology and FaceTime, as I said, something like that. I just wanted to raise that and tell you that it doesn't make you a horrible person if you make the decision that financially it doesn't make sense and lifestyle wise it doesn't make sense right now. Doesn't mean you're horrible son or daughter or aunt or uncle. If they guilt induce you, they'll get over it. Now let's move to the next phase, whether they're local or you do make the trip or whatever and you get there. Every family has issues. You probably have issues with somebody in your family, some frustration, some problem. Make a decision before you go that you have the right to pick your battles and your battlefields, and you have the right to pick when you're going to fight those battles. You Remember we talked about that. Just make a decision that Thanksgiving, around the dinner table, or in the kitchen, when everybody's together, maybe for the one time a year that everybody gets together, that's just not the battlefield that you want to fight on. Resolve before you go that, yes, there are some issues here, we're just simply not going to solve them at Thanksgiving. We can all get on the phone later, or I can contact this person individually, or whatever, but Thanksgiving is just not for problem-solving. I hate to be cliche, but Thanksgiving is for giving thanks. You don't have to use this time to clear up all the resentments, problems, and agendas. I think you need to make some decisions going in, and one of them needs to be that you're just simply not going to talk about politics, and you're not going to talk about existing problems. Now, if you decide that you're not going to talk about politics, then people may be upset with you because they want to vent and talk about politics. And if they do, just excuse yourself. Just say, oh, great, y'all are going to talk about politics. Uh, I'm going to take the kids out back and swing. (laughs) Or I'm going to walk the dog to Cleveland. Anything. But you're going to have a more peaceful time, and you're going to have less conflict if you make that decision going in. So if you do go, and you decide I'm not going to solve problems, I'm not going to talk politics, so what are you going to do? Well, there's something called reflexive biting. Let me, by analogy, talk about animal psychology for a minute. And you're probably thinking, my God, where's he going now? Well, in animal psychology, we have a lot of things that we've really learned about human functioning because we've studied it in animals and then set it up to see if this holds for humans, and it does. And one of the things we've learned is what we call reflexive biting, where you can take docile animals like white mice. Put two of them in a good sized cage and they either ignore each other or they play or whatever, and they're just fine. You can put three or four in there, same thing. You put 30 or 40 in there, and you know what happens? They start biting each other. They start fighting each other. Why? It's called reflexive biting. They get stressed. It's too crowded. There's no way to get off by yourself and be a docile white mouse. Everywhere you go, there's another mouse. They can't get by themselves. They can't rest. They can't be alone. They get frustrated. And when they get frustrated, they lash out. Now, by analogy, let's take that to Aunt Edna's house for Thanksgiving. (laughs) You've got a house where maybe three or four people live, and they get along just fine. Just like the white mice in the big cage. Okay, now you bring in another 10 or 11 people, and everybody's going to stay at Aunt Edna's, and they get there on Wednesday night, and they're going to be there Wednesday night, Thursday, Thursday night, Friday, Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night. And as Hemingway said, guests like fish stink after three days. So you're going to get some reflexive biting. You, on the other hand, can decide that you're going to come late and leave early. You, on the other hand, can say, we didn't want to intrude, so we're going to stay at the motel. And you think, well, you know, that's going to cost a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, maybe, but you're better off to go get one room with a couple of rollaways and you and your people stay together where you can get away from everything and decompress a little bit. If that's something that you can afford to do, it might be a really good investment. If it's not something you can afford to do, you might think about not staying quite so long. I'm just trying to give you a heads up that some of the meltdowns that happen during the holidays are not as random as they may seem. In fact, they're quite predictable human nature-wise. When you think about such things as overcrowding and stress and tension, particularly if a couple of people there have chips on their shoulders or drink too much or have an issue with you from last summer, and all this gets mixed together, it's like, gee, what could possibly go wrong here? (laughs) It's like a lot could go wrong here. You got somebody with a chip on their shoulders, somebody drinking too much, somebody talking politics, and we're all jammed together in a room set up for four people, and it's now got 14. What could possibly go wrong? Well, everything. I probably sound like a pessimist about the holidays, and I'm absolutely not. I love the holidays. Our family, we've never had so much as a crossword at Thanksgiving or Christmas. Whether it's our house or theirs, or we've traveled to somewhere, some destination, we've always had just a terrific time. So I'm not saying this because I've had some bad experience. I'm saying it because out of 45 years of being a mental health professional, I've dealt with a lot of people that have come home wounded from what would have been designed as a wonderful family get together. Manage your situation by managing your expectations. And recognize if you're setting yourself up for failure by putting stress and pressure on yourself, by traveling too far, putting on a financial strain, staying too long in too small of a space, and trying to solve problems on a battlefield that's not very good for problem solving. I just want to say that and remind us all that Thanksgiving is about giving thanks. And one of the rituals and traditions that we have at Thanksgiving dinner is we just kind of go around the table, start with one person and go clockwise or counterclockwise, but we just kind of go in order around the table and everybody shares one thing that they're particularly thankful for that's happened in the year since last Thanksgiving. Sometimes it's something profound. Sometimes it's something really funny. Sometimes it's something that everybody knows what they're going to say, and sometimes it's something way off the wall. But whatever it is, we just all share a blessing that we particularly value from the last year. That's one of our rituals and traditions. Maybe you have your own. If not, you can certainly borrow ours. That's it this time. We'll get back to Relationship Reality Check one week from today. I'm Dr. Phil.